Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you have not already, you can join a growing community of Major Spoilers members by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Je suis Matthew. Je suis Ashley. Je suis Rodrigo. Je suis Steven. And y'all be listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast. The podcast for pop culture and French-speaking fans just like you. In this issue, what would you risk for a chance at love? How can you mend a broken heart? What would you do for a Klondike bar? All that, plus the comics, films, and TV of your future previewed for you in the mighty major spoilers manner by our panel of experts with literal decades of pop culture nonsense under our belts. And if you've ever seen my belt, that's a lot of fun time, y'all. So sit back, feel the city breaking, and everybody's shaking, and tell, by the way, I use my walk that I have a really, really bad knee. But the major spoilers podcast is on a comfortable chair, and it's on the air. Welcome to issue 909 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So good to have everyone here this week, including you sitting right there. You know who you are. Yeah, just stand up and wave. Everybody's looking at you. They'll applaud. Well, <laughs> stand up for that. the bus and say, I am a spoiler. Rock on! No, you just have to stand up and wave. People start applauding. They know who you are, just like yeah. us. All right, let us, yeah. let us uh, start this show off right and do some news. <laughs> All right, so if you were looking forward to Green Arrow and the Canaries, please sound off on Twitter. I'd like to know if those people existed. We are kicking off our new segment with a bit of a disappointment and a whole shower of shade from Ashley. According to Variety, the CW has scrapped plans for the Arrow spinoff series. Originally, the show would have taken place two years after the end of the original Arrow series, and it would have featured Mia Smoke, Laurel Lance, and Dinah Drake teaming up to take on crime. We saw them in the flash forwards, remember? Yeah, it was confusing. Even with the cancellation of this series, DC still has Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, the best show, Batwoman, Superman and Lois, and Wonder Girl in the works, as well as two spinoff series based on the Black Lightning television series, which is ending after the fourth season. So nobody has anything to be too, too sad about. Yeah, I think there's going to be plenty of DC comics uh, on the CW for years to come, even if this is the last season of Supergirl. And is this the last season of Legends of Tomorrow? We know Black Lightning is ending. They they I, haven't announced it. Yes, um, Legends yeah. of Tomorrow is is still ongoing. And what about Star Girl? Is Star Girl still in play? Star Dude, Girl. every every season of Legends of Tomorrow is like, is this the last season of Legends <laughs> of Tomorrow? And I say this as someone who not. Legends is my favorite of the well, other than Black Lightning, uh, but it's one of my favorite shows that. Uh, the DC slate is offering, but it's like, I guess I think, I think every year we wait until Katie lots comes back from Bali or wherever she's jet set it <laughs> off to and says, yes, we're doing another. Series. Yeah. You know, as, as long as you've got Tala Ash, you've got a show. 
Yeah. yeah I don't know what's going on with Stargirl. I know that uh, uh, somebody at the CW or Warner Brothers is kicking themselves because they dismantled that whole Swamp Thing set and they canceled the show because it was going to be too expensive to put it into storage. And now I guess the show is super popular on the CW and they're like, man, I wish we could bring this back from cancellation. But I don't think we can. It is enjoying um, a lot of positive buzz on mm-hmm. Twitter. I saw Brent Scootover is really into it right now. So I'm like, dang, if the if the comics crowd is into it, you guys you might want to be making some phone calls. Yep. There you go. Speaking of the comics crowd, DC has announced the first wave of its Future State event are headed back to press for another printing. Titles getting another shot include Future State, Dark Detective number one, Future State. The next Batman number one, Future State. The next Batman number two, Future State. Wonder Woman number one, Future State. Harley Quinn number one, and Future State. Swamp Thing number one. According to DCPR, you can expect to see the new printings ASAP starting February 2nd of this year. Yeah, so the second wave of the Future State stuff uh, dropped this week. And so there's a lot of new stuff in there. I know that uh, the Supergirl one... Uh, is not uh, showing up on this list, uh, but there is a Kara Zor-El series that dropped um, uh, this week. I also noticed that Wonder Woman is not on this. Yeah, that's, it. that's interesting as well. Wonder Woman's getting a second. Or, I'm sorry, the Superman Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. That one, that one just came out this week, though, so that may mm. be an announcement that's coming next week. Yeah. Then I retract my Sarkhan's thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> Withdrawn. <laughs> uh, so, uh... Wizards of the Coast has announced details about the next Magic the Gathering set in Kaldheim. Players will be introduced to a new Viking-inspired world. Uh, Kaldheim introduces the new card mechanics Boast and Foretell. Boast lets players activate an ability only if a creature attacked during the turn, while Foretell allows players to exile cards from their hand face down to cast at a later time for their Foretell cost, sort of a, uh, a morph that doesn't actually hit the battlefield. Uh, Changeling and Snow also make a return. The new cards will arrive on Magic the Gathering Arena on January 28th and everyone else, or and everywhere else uh, on February 5th. Do you still play Magic, uh, Rodrigo, or is that uh, done with you? I uh, kind of stopped, and then I started playing Magic again because of the pandemic. Uh, basically, we had some friends who wanted to like play games remotely. We were all familiar oh, yeah. with Magic, so we started again, and now, like, uh, my wife and these friends play Magic every once in a while, but I got back into it because of it, and I'm just constantly on Arena. And I'm like, mm. oh, why did I get back into this again? Uh, but <laughs> I am excited about Kaldheim. I'm ca- actually saving up a little bit to uh, to be able to buy some packs when it comes out. Nice. When are they bringing back FaZe? Uh, they're probably not going to bring back FaZe, but... FaZe back. Um, they have brought it back as part of, uh, of other stuff. So, for example, there's a planeswalker that can phase things out, um, sort of as a like a defensive tactic. Right. Um, so it's you know it's around. It's just never gonna be make a full comeback as as a mechanic because they don't like it too much. <laughs> Finally this week, Wonder Woman turns 80 years old this year, and DC Comics is kicking off the celebration with an all-new digital first series that's available right now on Comixology and also, I guess, uh, DC Unlimited, if you're still subscribed to that. Uh, The digital arc is written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Megan Hetrick and sees Diana going up against Dr. Psycho. Sensational Wonder Woman number one, like I said, is available right now. Uh, I think it comes out every week. 
uh, and eventually it's going to get a print format like we do see with most of the digital first editions. Hmm. It's good. I mean, the, they do a lot of really good. Some of the digital first stuff we've read before, and it, it does very well. It's like a half issue for 99 cents or whatever, a buck 99. And then they yeah. uh, wait for like four of those uh, digital first issues to come out. And then that's like issue number one. So I'm, I'm guessing by the time we hit uh, the Wonder Woman 80th anniversary, we'll get this as a trade or something. That would be nice. I mean, I, honestly, the DC anniversary things seem like they're weirdly subjective. I was because, going to bring that up. <laughs> because 41 is also the 80th anniversary of Aquaman, the 80th anniversary of um, what's his face with the head, with the thing. What is his name? Ah, Hawkman was Hawkman was last year. Yeah, but it's like Batman and Superman got like huge to do's. Mm -hmm. Robin got Jack nothing. Uh, He got a he got a series of variant covers. Come on. Yeah, I mean, they were cute. Don't get me wrong, but but like you know, sometimes people characters get people. Yeah, Uh, Catwoman was the same way. They real in my head. Yeah, Catwoman get a whole celebration. Sometimes it's art. And with Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. So. I I hope she gets her due. I really, really do. It would be nice yeah. if we had a a true Wonder Woman day where they did a big celebration. But uh huh, it would be nice. But I mean, well, there's also your Starman. There's also your Doctor Midnight. There's also your Black Hawk. I mean, there are other characters in Forty One that I don't think you know, I don't think anybody is going to be like woohoo Seven uh, Eleven. But Plastic Man's 80th is this year. And I don't, you know, I, I feel like DC is just like, we're going to hit these top three characters over and over and over. And I just, I want you to be more. Yeah, yeah. In the past, in the past, October 21st has been, Octo- uh, has been uh, Wonder Woman Day. I October. don't know if they will do that again this year or if they'll do it on June 3rd or something. Mm. Yeah, especially with the success of Fandom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's, there's no excuse to not do it regardless of whether there's a pandemic or what's going on because right. you can build up a lot of buzz around a property and then do a big celebration about it. And mm-hmm. Wonder Woman still, like, even, even without the new fans that were brought to it by the movies, Wonder Woman has a very loyal following. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, we can only hope that, uh, that DC uh, won't stumble and fumble the ball, but uh, why don't we wait until they do stumble and fumble the ball, and then we can or turn our noses up at them and laugh, yes. You know anyway. who else is 80 years old this year? You? All right, you want to <laughs> see my middle finger? That's fine. Green Arrow is 80 years old this That's year? A, yep, he and Captain yep, he Marvel Woman. Jr. is 80 years old. Johnny Quick, yeah. uh, Star Spangled Kid, and Stripes. Oh, a real missed opportunity if, if Captain Marvel Jr., because it was just Elvis Presley's birthday. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, would have been a great a little crossover bunch. possibility. Well, that Nelvana is of the Northern Lights, but I don't. That think is one of the things yes, that was brought up. Um, that was one of the things that was brought up when they were celebrating the the Hawkman uh, 80th yeah. birthday. Is you know we kind of, as Ashley said, had a little bit of a Robin, a little bit of a Catwoman, a little bit of a Joker thing with all the variant covers, and they did have yeah. those one single issues uh, where they kind of collected a bunch of a bunch of different stories uh, right. that they had. But a lot of people have pointed out that, yeah, there's a lot of people that are turning 80 years old, 90 years old, 75 years old or whatever, all in the same time. And uh, with the many changes that are going on, it is it is going to be very hard for DC or a Marvel or whoever to try to keep up and make a big deal out of a lot of their characters when so many of them exploded on the scene at the same time because they were just trying to get as many comics on the uh, comic book racks as they possibly could. I mean, and, and realistically, it, it, DC doesn't have an entire department in charge of everybody's birthday in their right. fictional universe. But right. 
They it should. seems like I, I I don't disagree with that actually. Or there certain certainly should be a dedicated marketing person. Um, but I really think that they're um, you know, they did like Wonder Woman a celebration of 75 years, like those nice hardback mm-hmm. collections. Mm-hmm. Even if they just reprinted those with a new cover, a new forward, and maybe like one or two additional stories, like those were a big hit a few years ago. So I don't understand why the 80ths are kind of just like We'd rather celebrate Detective Comics 1000 because there's not as many of those on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Dear listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and many more over at the Major Spoilers Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord for free. There is a link in your show notes. Just click on it. It'll open up your Discord app. You can jump right on in. Or if you are a Patreon member at patreon.com slash major spoilers, you get access to our super secret section of our Discord server where you can come and hang out and listen to us uh, chat. You can uh, be part of uh, our live streams when we do that. And you can listen to our Dueling Review Show live streamed Thursday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. when you become a Patreon member and link your Discord account to it. Find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Major spoilers. All right, let us jump into some reviews. Reviews. And you guys, I think I have found the most 80s movie that ever 80'd in the 2000s and the 2020s in the form of Shadow in the Cloud. Holy cow. I don't know if anybody, if you guys have seen the the wackadoo trailer that's out there for Shadow in the Cloud. I've seen the trailer. You've you've seen pretty much all of the action bits of this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the trailer is pretty wackadoo. Uh, but this takes place during World War II. This is a New Zealand film uh, that is written and directed by uh, Roseanne Liang. Uh, it is stars uh, Chloe Grace Moretz that you guys may know as Hit Girl from the mm-hmm. Kick-Ass movies. Uh, so uh, she plays Captain Maud Garrett, who boards a World War II B-17 bomber uh, heading off of... Um, one of the islands uh, around Australia during World War II, and they're heading off to American Samoa because she has this package and she doesn't want anybody to open up this package. Well, because of, uh, you know, gross misogyny and uh, people not believing her story, she gets shoved down into the ball turret of this B-17 bomber uh, as they're flying off. And while she is at the bottom of the plane, she sees something crawling around. There's a gremlin on this plane. And oh, your favorite trope. It is. It really is. Right. Because (laughs) here's what's cool about this. This gremlin, I will just describe it that you kind of get a little glimpse of it in the trailer, but it is more like a bat than it is. um, You know, the gremlins that you see in the gremlin movie or that you see in the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons uh, of the same name, (laughs) although they do kind of make a reference to those cartoons at the beginning of the film. Uh, But this gremlin causes havoc on the plane. Uh, In addition to that, uh, there's a a squad of uh, Japanese uh, planes that are targeting them and trying to shoot them out of the sky. All the while, people are figuring out that Captain Garrett uh, has something else going on. And when you realize what's in the package and what her story is, it really takes a, a change in how the rest of the movie plays out. But for and I timed this for literally the first 50 minutes of this 83 minute movie. It is all her in the ball turret. Wow. Which, you know, the first 20 minutes, I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is interesting. I see how they're trying to build up tension. They're trying to do a, a, you know, a a terror at 30,000 feet kind of thing. You're getting glimpses of this thing as it's kind of terrorizing the underside of the carriage and everybody is talking back and forth on their headsets and she's trying to tell them stories and they're not listening and they're saying very rude uh, things to her. And then after about 20 minutes or so, I was like, are they really going to do most of this movie? with her inside that ball turret. And sure enough, 
the first two acts is just her inside that ball turret. And she it's only... that, uh, what's the name of that, uh, like anthology movie where the guy like draws cartoons? Yeah. Amazing stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Amazing yeah. stories. stories Spielberg's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very much like that in, in a sense. Um, it does get crazy wackadoo. If this movie was made for more than $20 million, I would be really, really surprised. This seems like a micro budget, although the creature effects are done really well. Uh, all of the digital effects, uh, all the creature effects were all done by Weta Digital out of New Zealand. So you know, I, that's why I kind of bumped this up to a $20 million budget. But there, besides Chloe Grace, uh, Grace Moretz, there's not a whole lot of people in this that you would instantly recognizable. Um, I think Love, Simon is in it. Oh, maybe. Um, so it's it's relatively inexpensive. Keenan Lonsdale? <laughs> Nick um, Robinson. So I would, oh, the white guy. <laughs> this is one of those movies that skipped that skipped uh, theaters and went direct to video on January first. Uh, so if you rent it, it's like nineteen ninety nine. But if you buy it, it's like twenty four ninety five. Uh, I would just say go ahead and buy it uh, for that amount of money, uh, just for the difference in that. I sat down on Saturday night saying, "Oh man, I have a craving for some wackadoo eighties movies," and I was about to watch Big Trouble in Little China. And I said, oh, Shadow in the Cloud is here. Let me watch this because it just looks like a complete mess of a movie. And it turns out it's not. Just the whole ability. Uh, there was a movie that I reviewed. Oh, man, it was a while ago. It was the UFO 1950s uh, New Mexico movie where most of it is taking place inside of a radio station. This is very much the exact same way where they're able to generate quite a performance uh, from our lead actress inside that ball turret and i found it engaging i found it simply charming i found it better than it should have been and it's crazy in all the right ways that it should be and uh i think that it's i think that it's really really interesting uh i should point out before somebody else does point out uh, this isn't this that max bendis thing or max landis sorry max landis thing max bendis yeah not max bendis max landis yes max Landis wrote the first draft of this movie, the first draft of the script, uh, before the whole Me Too and uh, the the crimes caught up with him, and he was basically blacklisted. He had a bunch, apparently he had a bunch of movies in the process when all that went down, and most of those movies were canceled. This was not one of them. However, I did a bunch of research and did a bunch of reading and interviews with the producers and the writer-director, Roseanne Liang, who's really good. This is only her second feature film. And they talk about this and they talk about how that this script had to go through so many rewrites that by the time they got their shooting script, his stuff was basically excised from it. I don't even remember seeing his name in the credits of the movie. So I'm pretty sure that he's been removed completely from this, except for maybe a concept and a title on this. So if uh, the whole Max Landis thing creeps you out and you're like, no, this I think they did a pretty good job of of distancing themselves from him in this piece. Uh, it's got a lot of strong language, a lot of a uh, lot of sexual suggestions. Um, but I, I just found this really, really good. Three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Like I said, it's better than it should have been. And if you've seen the trailer, you've seen a lot of the action highlight bits. Um, but I really enjoyed this. This was a, this was a big kick for me and uh, really had me giggling the the entire weekend. So Shadow in the Cloud, it's out now uh, on your uh premium VOD services. Uh, I think it's worth, I think it's worth the price. Even if you're just going to rent it for 20 bucks, it's worth the price to watch. That Didn't Hit awesome. Girl and Love, Simon do like a science fiction movie together a couple of years ago? I have no idea. I didn't look at her complete 
uh, IMDb list, but um, I thought she did a great job. It took me a while because I was like, yeah, she's an excellent actor. Yeah, she actually affects a really good New Zealand accent um, throughout the movie. And then she switches to an English accent. Uh, because there's something else we find out that she's not who she says she is. She's not New Zealish at all. No, but she, and I and I was totally believable. I was like, who is this? And I finally had to look her up. And I was like, oh, Hit Girl. That's where everybody will know her from. So there you go. Ashley, speaking of... I know her of, as uh, the fellow little sister from 500 Days of Summer. There you go. Uh, Ashley, we were just talking about Wonder Woman. What's going on in the future state of Wonder Woman from DC Comics? Well, the minute the art came out by... Joel Jones with uh, Colors by Jordi Belair. They sold it to the CW as a TV show, but <laughs> more importantly, this is a comic book podcast. If you say Wonder Woman, I'm sure there's eight more titles in front of that that I forgot and can't wrap my head around. Uh, came out last week. Uh, as I mentioned, it is written by Joel Jones, also drawn by Joel Jones with uh, Colors by Jordi Belair. Uh, I'm super biased. Joel Jones is someone I have loved for a really long time. I think she's amazing. I interviewed her a million years ago for major spoilers. And then the first time um, she had the bad luck to run into me at a Comic-Con party, I screamed that at her because I think she's so great. Uh, And she has recently, as a lot of um, artists have done, she stepped into the writer role. And Future State Wonder Woman, uh, if you're not familiar with the fact that this is not Diana Prince, this is um, who everyone is referring to as the South American Wonder Woman, which is uh, not incorrect. But what that means uh, for people like me is I'm only mostly sure that I know how to pronounce the names. And I haven't read um, any DC book with the word metal in it or any DC book with the word dark in it uh, that was published post 1989 or so. So I went into this completely blind because because Wonder Woman and because Joelle Jones and Jordi Miller. What more could I want out of a comic book? We meet and. Please, Rodrigo, if I butcher any of the names, just correct me. Uh, We meet Yara Flor in the middle of a rainforest, of the Amazonian rainforest, and she is fighting a Hydra, which is kind of neat because if you're familiar with Wonder Woman, you're probably familiar with the canon of Greek mythology and also because uh, colonization, we're just generally more familiar with European mythologies than pretty much anywhere else in the entire world. And so she fights it and she's like cutting off its little horny horn. And then she gets interrupted by a little cute sprite who's absolutely adorable and rides a tiny little piggy who's like, please don't slaughter our animals. Thank you. That would be so great. Uh, And then they go to hell together. And when I tell you that it is so funny and so adorable and so interesting, I just don't know if that does justice to the epic feel of future state wonder woman because it is at the same time laying the groundwork of uh south american mythology for people like me who know nothing about it in a very comprehensible way that uh, if you do some googling you have a lot of really cool extra stories to dive into and other books to buy as a result but it also makes yara really accessible like she's funny she's sarcastic she's tricksy she's willing to steal something from a dead sumo wrestler to make her little traips through hell a bit easier it is i think it's everything you want a new wonder woman to be and i'm so glad that if it ties into the larger thing that has set up this event at all it's in the barest way possible because there was another version of this book where 
I read this and had no idea what was going on because I haven't read the Robin King Batman thing that came before this. But I thought it was like really, really delightful. And I was ready for it to not be that. I was ready for it to feel weird or derivative. And it's not. It's two cool magical ladies doing cool superhero stuff with monsters. I truly can't recommend it enough. And with the 80th anniversary coming up, I think that I haven't checked out the digital first series, but I think this is a worthy celebration of the spirit of Wonder Woman. And whether that's Diana Prince or Yara Floor or Cassie Sandsmark or Donna Troy or whoever you want it to be, I think this encapsulates it. Uh, and I think it's already going to a second print. I think that was one of our first news stories. Mm-hmm. So go and get a first print and hold on to it and slab it for when the TV show comes out. I loved it. Go. There you go. Matthew, what's going on in the world of the Commanders in Crisis? Uh, We've kind of been dealing with uh, dancing around the whole multiverse at DC Comics is back. But Image Mm -hmm. Comics embraced the whole idea of the infinite verse with uh, Commanders in Crisis. And now a new series is out this week. Very true. Issue number four, written by Steve Orlando, art by David Tinto. This is a good book. I really love this book. So if you don't know the premise, it goes like this. There are five superheroes who are the greatest superheroes of the world, right? They're not the Justice League, only kind of maybe they are, only they're not. But it also, as we found out in the first issue, is interesting that they are each from an alternate universe. And the reason it's called Commanders in Crisis is they were each the super president of the United States on their world. This issue is really, really good and really, really creepy because we've been investigating a murder mystery. And because of the special powers that the characters have, it actually allows us to meet and view the life of the murderer from his perspective. Basically, the murderer is like, yeah, I just wanted to matter. And now you're going to make that happen for me. And uh, Originator, who has the power to make things occur, has to use her powers to make him important. It is creepy. It is awful. It is white supremacist nonsense. He is a sexist, racist jackwagon, and I hate him. And then the other half of the issue kicks in, where we get, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a person who's read a lot of comics. I've seen swerves coming. I know my swerves, okay? Vince McMahon and I went to high school together. They hit me with a swerve that I did not see coming. And then immediately follow that with a second successful, huge, everything you know is wrong moment. And if you know the everything you know is wrong trope, you know that I tend to mock it. I tend to mock it a lot because it's hard to do well. And even when you do it well, it's still not always good. Orlando and Tito pull it off here. They get a moment where everything we know is wrong. And then Frontier, the leader of the commanders, is like, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And it turns out that everything we thought we knew for that page and a half is now extra wrong. And the book ends with basically the team breaking up and terrible, terrible knowledge. And oh my God, you guys, this is a fun comic book. Uh, Four Slices of Meatloaf for Commanders in Crisis, a book that you need to experience I really don't want to spoiler this. The things that happen in this issue are shocking in ways that if you've read the first three are probably going to knock you in the dirt. If you haven't read them, I feel like it still works as an individual issue. And these characters and their, you know, their powers and their interactions and the the specificity 
of who they represent, the representation in this book really makes me happy. I really, really enjoy this book. And I feel like if you like a comic that feels fun and wild and old school, but also very modern, very progressive, and you know, not obnoxious about that, boom, this is your comic. Four slices of meatloaf, go read it right now. You can thank me later. All right. Uh, Matt, uh, Rodrigo, you're going to wrap it up this week with Archie's Jumbo Comics Digest number 316, which is interesting because one of the things that um, uh, Archie Comics has been doing is they've been sliding in some new original stories into these yep. classic digests. Yeah. So um, you buy your big old digest, but let's, uh, to, to be completely honest, if you're a big Archie fan and you've bought a lot of Archie comics, there's going to be some stories here that you've already seen, right? So yeah, they're adding some new stories as well. Um, the new story in this one is Archie and Jughead get a good idea to sell hot chocolate uh, it, like by the pond where kids are like ice skating and uh, they kind of don't heed some warnings that are given to them and then have a slight misadventure because well, actually a pretty thorough misadventure because of it. It's good times, <laughs> good, good, clean fun. Um, and that's really kind of what this is about. Probably the most fun about uh, an Archie digest is uh, flipping through and trying to guess what year the story is from mm -hmm. um, largely by uh, three measurements uh, being the ankles, knees, and waists of the character's pants. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, you'll see something and they'll be wearing bell bottoms. And it's like, okay, well, clearly this was written somewhere around 1960 or 70. And then, you know, you'll go to another one and like Archie's wearing like really baggy pants and like a backwards hat. And it's like, oh, well, this is. This is probably 2001 with them still trying to do the 90s, but, you know, I mean, it's all good. No, Archie has, you know, Archie comics have been around forever and they've been written continuously forever. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a sort of anthropology to go through this digest. Um, you know, there's like one page stories where it's like kind of like a, a joke, just like a single joke like you would see on a newspaper strip mm -hmm. um there are multi-part there's one two-part story at least um that is really out there for archie i mean as long as you don't consider necessarily all of their superhero stuff to be canon which i don't know if if it is considered to be canon or not nobody ever brings it up when like Betty and Veronica are like trying on dresses. Remember that time when we were superheroes? So it's hard to tell. Part of the canon uh, is that they can't remember being superheroes. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it's a thing. But I don't know if they remember Archie fighting a giant octopus not being a superhero um, and, and literally meeting a Yeti. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, but it's, again, like I said, it's good, clean fun. Um, a lot of the art is uh dan parent but there's lots of artists in this um i'm gonna give it three and a half slices of meatloaf definitely you know it's like you you know what you get when you get an archie's digest right you are you're not expecting anything too hardcore um it's like mostly stories about kids 
doing dorky things and having like very minor consequences because of them. And, you know, sometimes, especially maybe nowadays, sometimes that's just good. It's good to just pick up a comic that's not going to assail you in any way. So mm-hmm. three and a half slices of me love for uh, Archie Jumbo Comics Digest number 316. Okay, that is also out this week. Uh, thank you for that, Rodrigo and Matthew and Ashley. And dear listener, if you want to read more reviews, just head over to Majorspoilers.com. New reviews every single day of the week. And while you're over there, why don't you scroll down a little bit on the right side if you're on the, uh, the web browser side, if you're on a web uh, computer. Um, maybe further down if you're on your iPhone or something. But click on that uh, Major Spoilers newsletter. Uh, go ahead and sign up. We're going to be doing something a little different where you will get sent a original piece uh, sent to you each week. Uh, as well as some highlights from the website. Not going to spam your your email box. Uh, we sent a second one out this week. Positive feedback from that one, so we'll continue that throughout the year. So go sign up to the Major Spoilers newsletter over at Majorspoilers.com. This week, it's time travel week, as we take a look at The Infinite Loop from IDW Publishing. I remember reading the first issue of this and going, oh my goodness, this is going to be all sorts of crazy. And... Matthew and I were talking before the show. Mm-hmm. This might be, considering everything that's going on in the world right now and everybody on Twitter right now, this may be the only time you will hear people talk about a story being Orwellian and actually being <laughs> right about it. <laughs> Ashley, what's the infinite loop all about? So the infinite loop features the theory that Everything in time and time travel is a donut, if you are a Matthew McConaughey fan, and that every problem is sort of repeated ad nauseum, just with a different sort of facade pace on. There's a really great graphic in a diner in the first issue that lays it out because mm-hmm. it's written by someone smarter than I am. And mm-hmm. we meet our plucky red-haired protagonist who would have been a great companion to Indiana Jones, except she is way, way too self-sufficient to need him. This is why she never made it in the movies. I can't remember her name because I read this four days ago. Okay. And she is the time agent who is in charge of setting any issues correctly because there are, uh, for all intents and purposes, baddies who want to go and muck up the timeline. They want to do things like make sure that Abraham Lincoln was ever born, which even in the course of the comic, they're like, it's lame. Everyone tries it. But when you muck about with time, as we all know from all great sci-fi, bad things happen. Her job is to go fix it. Dinosaurs are involved. It's really, really great. Um, And then Elsa, what's her last? Charitier? Here it says uh, the artist. Charitier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she prefers the French Shall pronunciation yeah. of her name or not. Um, renders all of Teddy is the female character's name. Teddy. Uh, Elsa Charitier renders her beautifully in a very uh, classic style so that we do get the sense of adventure serials as this time paradox unspools around Teddy and she tries to hold our entire universe together before the comics fold in on itself. And then uh, then she gets to meet Anno, an anomaly, a a female, and she instantly falls in love with her. And this is where things get Orwellian, because in this time period, there is the time organization is there to prevent. uh, And I'm using what the book is talking about. uh, Freaks, sexual deviants, people who uh, want to to love. Love has been 
love has been removed. Anyone who wants to have sex with someone of the same uh, same sex is is a deviant and a freak, and they must be put down and stopped at all costs. And of course, uh, Teddy and Anna run off together, and this becomes a uh, uh, how do I want to say this? It becomes a super gay positive story about uh, fighting for love. And I want to know what you guys think about this, because that's there's these whole discussions about what would you do for love? Um, You know, what would you do if you lost this person that you love? Would you fight for them? What would you do with them? Uh, What would you do without them? And are you willing to stand up and fight against people who want to tear your kind down? And I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on this. Ashley, why don't we start with you? Would I fight for love? No, no, no. What your thoughts are on this book? Your initial <laughs> oh, thoughts are on this book. Okay. I was like, that's, I can handle that. Who are you, you going to fight? Who, would you fight Carol Channing? No, she's a sweet old lady. Would you would fight, you fight Channing? Tyson? Would you fight Channing Tatum? You know, I think I could take Channing Tatum. I have very sharp elbows. Would oh, you, you fight go. Tatum O'Neill? I don't know who that is. Oh, you sweet summer child. Just tell Steven about the comic book and stop making me feel old. Um, I like this comic book. Uh, I'm really glad that we got uh, a sign makes it sound like homework. Uh, I'm really glad that we chose to do this for the major spoilers podcast because it's been on my list of like comics I want to read for a really long time. I remember there being a whole bunch of buzz about this when it started. Mm-hmm. Um, Elsa Shadatia has gone on to like do so much cool art. She's like a big Star Wars person now. Um, I do think this is two volumes mushed into one. And I do think in some ways it is two competing ideas. That being said, I think it would make a great movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rodrigo, it's probably developed to be a movie pitch. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm Rodrigo, I'm curious about, you know, the there is a very super pro get on board with LGBTQA um, message that runs throughout this. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on, on this. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's good and it's good that they're explicit about it. I think, you know, you can, there, there's multiple ways in which you can be positive about that sort of thing in, in media, right? You can either show a world that doesn't like it and characters fighting for it, which is what it is does, or you can show a world that regardless of the conflict is very positive about it. Um, trying to think of an example but you you know it's like a show in which there's just gay characters and they aren't doing you know their their gayness is not important to the plot um and then there's uh kind of a more restrained version where you just allude to it Mm -hmm. um and really that's probably the something that kind of muddies this is that it's explicitly like uh, you know, we are gay and we're fighting for our love. And also, like, there's this time organization that wants to remove uh, problematic objects. And sometimes those objects are people, which comes across as a metaphor, right, for, uh, I don't know, the patriarchy or, you know, governments or religion or whatever. Um, so it's like simultaneously explicitly doing something and also kind of metaphorically doing something. And I think that can just kind of weirdly complicate it or it, it makes it so that that uh, it makes it so that the analogy doesn't always work because 
there's also simultaneously something else going on. And also sometimes a dinosaur shows up and it's like, what does the dinosaur represent in this analogy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, well, well, nothing. The dinosaur is actually just a dinosaur. Right? Yeah. It represents a dinosaur. Um, Ma- Ma- Matthew, I'm curious because there is a lot of, of coding uh, mm-hmm. in this book. Uh, we mentioned before uh, they use actual quotes from 1984. Uh, the whole idea of um, doing away with quote unquote sexual deviance uh, in this in this story is is kind of a big deal. Uh, the Stonewall riots are brought up. You've got this uh, real dude bro uh, fascist team that is uh, that's tracking down uh, Anno and Teddy. In fact, in the end, the group that they bring together, I, I think it's called the 88, which is, you know, Nazi coding uh, in there. Uh, and so, you know, that's it's really surprising how they've kind of hit you upside the head with with all of this. And you don't even have to subtly pay attention because they really hit you over the head with it. Yeah. And I am a firm believer that some anvils need to be dropped. I feel like there are certain times when uh, didacticism, for lack of a better word, is absolutely necessary. And I feel like this story really, for me at least, has a handle on that. Because, I mean, they're not just referencing you know, LGBTQ issues, there's references, you know, Malcolm X makes an appearance speaking. Mm-hmm, there's references mm-hmm. to the lynching of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. There's references to all sorts of situations that Teddy, as a time traveling person, interacted with and whether or not she made the right decision, whether she did the right thing at those times. And the story is explicitly telling us she did not. She did not make the right decision, you know, in these historical moments. And I feel like sometimes that is necessary, especially when it comes to an industry like comics where the existence of a female character or an LGBTQ character or a character who's a person of color somehow becomes in and of itself a political statement. I feel like there are times when you can have a story just come out and flat out hit the reader over the head. And say, this is what we are talking about. This is what we want to discuss. And for me here, it works. I mm-hmm. really do appreciate it because you get to the point where the, the dude bros show up and they're the traditional square jawed hero guys. They're the guys that many other comics would tell us to root yeah, for. Yeah, they're Kurt Swan AF in their yeah. rendition. And and they're they're beautiful to behold on the page, even yep. in their yeah, horrific yeah, in, their, in their fashion, their fascism. Yeah. Yeah. They, are, yeah, they are sons of bitches. Wait, can I? Say yeah, that? no. I mean, if if I mean, comics have always been political. Comics will always be political. Oh, absolutely. This Art is, is political. this. That's if 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 you're someone that is worried about social justice warrior stuff, this is probably a comic you're not going to want to read if that stuff bothers I, you. I really, I'd really, if you're worried about that, I'd invite you to check out my books. Uh, yeah. You know, and then and then leave the me an Amazon review, even a bad one. It really, really helped me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even no, if, but, if, uh, if, if you're a person who makes that argument, I want you to read this book. I want you to see fair. what these people, you know, uh, these people, as you would refer to them, what this point of view is saying, because this is a really fun story. And as Rodrigo pointed out, there are points of it where it's like we are going to this is a metaphor. This is important. This is a giant dinosaur running through the bedroom. This is, this is a sex scene and a really, really well done sex scene. Yeah. Give me more sex scenes in comics, guys. Give me well done sex in my comic books, because I love the fact that it's just part of their life. It's a thing that happens. And then another thing happens. That's the thing that I really love about this book is 
sometimes the the metaphor, the simile, the other you know English term that I forgot because I haven't been in school for thirty five years slips, and it's just allegory. Here's yeah, an allegory on the banks of the Nile. Here's some wacky fun comic stuff. Here's some beautifully drawn moments. Here's a naked person who's having a lot of fun being naked. I enjoy the parts of this that are, you know, basically trying to teach me something. And I enjoy the parts that are just, I think the creator is trying to have fun. Yeah, no, I, I like the, I like the, we are LGBTQA, we are people of color and we are fighting for our very lives and our very existence uh, that runs through this, which I think is, is very, very important. Um, there is nudity and sex. So if that's something that does bother you regardless, uh, be aware that that is in this. Um so Matthew, you said here are the parts that I that I like. What are some things that that trouble you about this book? I think for me, um, with the there, there's a concept in the universe called uh, NRE, New Relationship Energy. When you are in a new relationship, everything is new and wonderful and fast paced and woo. And after three days, you feel like you know this person forever, and you're going to be bonded in eternity and blibbity blobbity blue. Um, I feel like that's wonderful and that's great and they do a really good job of putting it on the page there are some points where it doesn't necessarily for me at least come through in the story at at the time that i'm supposed to get it especially when you know halfway through the story teddy and anno basically slip off into her side dimension her timeless side dimension uh her literal closet that she built for herself and they spend months there and if you're not paying attention to the things that say time has passed, it feels like this relationship is going really, really quickly. So there are some points where plot developments feel like I feel like I missed something here and there. And I feel mm -hmm. like it may just be a slight pacing issue. OK, Ashley, what about yours? Were there some things in here that that didn't sit right with you in this book? I think it's so interesting to hear Matthew bring up the pacing because uh, since the beginning of December, I've been reading a lot of romance novels where <laughs> like pacing is out the gate. We are in love in chapter one. We're nude by page 30. If we're taking our time, everyone is in love and they're willing to die for each other. So I was like, wow, this is like a nice, re reasonably paced build to a relationship yeah. by comparison to just the other media that I've been taking on. Um, I don't have any major qualms with it, except kind of what I, I said before. I kind of think we have two competing ideas here, and they are both rendered very, very thoughtfully and very well. Um, again, I'm assuming that the writer's going with the French pronunciation of the name, so I'm sorry if that's wrong, but uh, Pierre Collinet uh, clearly knows a lot about time travel and has invested a lot of thought in how the rules of physics and uh, universes work and decided what the rules are in building them for this story. And um, he also has a lot to say about everybody's rights and representation and particularly mm -hmm. the queer community and everything that is referenced, all the historical references, like there is so much thought and research that has gone into this book. And a lot of it is put on the page, which I appreciate, but sometimes I think Sometimes I think it gets a little too mired in that. And I'm like, there are a lot of words on this page. It's a comic book, which yeah. is sometimes how I feel um, about some writers where I'm like, there are too many words on this page. I'm reading a comic book. And I do, I do think, and look, uh, my books have been published by way smaller publishers than IDW. I understand that their agreement may have only been 
you're just getting one volume and we'll see how it goes after that. Like, I, I really do understand that in my soul. I have a lot of empathy for it. Like, this is everything. This is a full swing. And I really think this would have been better um, if it was spread out a little bit, if we'd had two volumes to fully live in. Here are the rules of our dimension, uh, not dim- of, our, of our time travel and the infinite loops. And this is why we are exploring it and then spooling out how this ties directly into Teddy and Anno's relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's like my only major qualm with that. I thought this was excellent. I will give this as a gift to people. Yeah, no, it is. It's really good comics and it deserved all the praise that it got when it came out. Yeah, no, it is a beautifully rendered book. It is a, a wonderful, wonderfully written book. One of the things that I really enjoy about this book, which I, number one, if they had more space to tell the story, I have a feeling we would have seen it pop up a lot more. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's something that I really enjoyed in like the first two or three uh, issues here where Teddy is given a choice. And because this is a book that uh, follows different times and different branches in time, you can follow her thought process of Teddy says no. And we get to follow a few panels of what happens if Teddy says no. We get to see a few panels of what happens yeah. if Teddy says yes. Which one is the most logical solution? Boom. It's that's like, where we like go. That, it's like the best episode of devs where you get to see yeah, all yeah, the yeah. timelines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I really like that. Let's fracture time for a moment and look at it from all these different perspectives. And then let's look at the right choice that she made or the, the choice that she made. And let's continue the story from there. And they do that multiple times uh, throughout the volume, which I really enjoyed. But the me- as far as message wise goes, I do think this is is uh, important to to read, especially when you get down to that bottom that bottom message that just the one line message of we're fighting for our very existence here. Uh, yes. As part of, you know, as the, the queer community or the LGBTQA community. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Rodrigo, did you have some things that that um, didn't sit right with you in this? Um, I think it's probably the, uh, the, the, the lack of space and, and time to, to really kind of explain everything. Oh, did you Uh, want some more world building or were you looking at more of how does this uh, all work kind of stuff? No, I, I kind of have a concern that I know is a little bit too, uh, like born sexy yesterday. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like, she, <laughs> like she appears and she, you know, Teddy's like, Oh my God, I'm in love with this girl, which is fine. And I like, Oh, I'm in love with this girl. And then she's like, Oh, you know, it's like, what is, what is a fork? You know? And I'm like, is this lady like capable of deciding to be in a relationship with someone <laughs> who is, as worldly as Teddy is. Right. You know, it's like, is this, is this someone who actually can be in a relationship and, and, and have power within that relationship if she doesn't know anything? And also if her girlfriend can literally control the space time continuum. Right. Um, so that was probably the main thing that kind of made me pump the brakes on this. Um, uh, like uh, I, again, I think it's fine, and it's like when you think about it, it's like if this was a dude and a lady, and the lady spent as much time topless as Anno does, like this, this would feel kind of sticky. Um, and it's less so because it is a lady, and that's fine. That makes sense. This story is different because it's two women. Right. Um, but there were definitely times when I'm like. Oh you have to like you have to give us more of this character 
for us to for her to not actually be the object that you're explicitly saying that she's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of doesn't come till much later once the relationship, but but by that point the relationship's already up and going, right? Yeah. Right. So it's it really it's a minor concern. It doesn't play too much into it. But yeah, that's that's something that reading, you know, it's like aside from uh like they, I feel like they play pretty fast and lose with the time travel stuff. So mm-hmm. I wasn't worrying too much about that. So this was something for me to worry about. Yeah. I, I think the one of the things that I would have liked to have seen you know, there's so much of it that is just in your face as far as messaging goes. The one that I would like maybe a little bit more was with Ulysses, um, who is Teddy's um, time operator, I guess, uh, talks yeah. with her. He starts out Guy by in the chair. Yeah, he's like, oh, I know we're not supposed to love, but Teddy, I love you. And she's like, no, that's gross. And then when he finds mm-hmm. out that she falls in love with Anno, he's like, oh, how dare she betray me? And he wants to join up with the uh, the 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 nerd, gr- the uh, the fascist group. To take uh, Anno and Teddy down. But then by the time we get to the third act, he kind of changes his view on this and realizes that, oh, no, I'm dealing with a bunch of of Nazis here and I don't want that. I don't want that. And I kind of wish there had been a little bit more realization on his part of am I really sitting on the right side of, of history here, even though I can rewrite history? Yeah, there's there's kind of this thing where. um the the timeline that we're seeing is a somewhat weird timeline, right? It's not mm-hmm. the things that always happen are not necessarily always happening in this one. And one thing that always happens is Ulysses always kills Anno. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then that's a tough thing to do to a character who you are trying to keep likable and trying not right. like he's not a mustache trolling villain. He's not Red Skull. Right. You know. So so here's. Uh, I don't know if this is what they were going for, but the read that I had of it is like, he is the only good one. Like this timeline produced an actually good Ulysses. And in every other timeline, Mm. he's just Mm. as much a bastard as everyone else. Yeah. And that read is interesting because again, when you're looking at this books, a metaphor, but also in your face, what is that saying? Right. And I don't know what it is. But it feels like it's saying something. Well, this is so after reading this and I don't want to say exhausted as in, man, this book was so taxing that I'm just I'm so exhausted by this. No, but some books are work the way others are. Yeah, this is one of those that you do have to work at uh, Mm -hmm. to really kind of play out some of the more subtle aspects of the story. And I'm not saying that there's not subtle aspects of the story. We were just talking about Ulysses and how you can take a different read on it. Uh, So I do think that. Regardless of of whether you got it the first time or not, I really think this is a book that's worth diving into maybe a second or third time just to yeah. get, okay, how it does, because they, you know, with everything being in this infinite loop, there are things that are repeated or said that happen later and before and all this kind of stuff, uh, especially yeah. with the older version of Teddy talking about stuff that right. that you kind of have to really pay attention to. And uh, sometimes that that makes the story better is going back and reading and reading and getting said, OK, I've got the the top level messaging. Now let's get right. into the next level of subtlety. Now let's get into the next level of subtlety. And then let's see how all these timelines and all these twists and turns are as plotted out perfectly or imperfectly as they as they could be. Uh, so yeah, from I, just that aspect, I think this book is worth reading a couple of times. So we'll come back this time next year. We'll yes. re-review we'll Infinite Loop and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'll say the same thing. I love the fact that 
the infinite loop refers not merely to the stable time loop or the unstable, you know, time uh, infinity symbol, but to human nature and the fact that humans make the same mistake over and over and over because we're freaking idiots. And I like the fact that this is a story at its core. You know, there there are definitely some issues with the power dynamic, and there is definitely, you know, weird time anomaly girl and girl who can travel in time, and then, you know, her uh, friend who sits in a chair and helps her travel in time. But it's really just a story about people. Mm-hmm. And if you break it down, it's, you know, Teddy as a time traveler can also be just a metaphor for the stupid things that you do over and over in your life. And we all have stupid things that we do, and I feel like universally – you can come into this and go, yes, I feel that. I think there's a line near the beginning where it's like, uh, man is the only animal stupid enough to trip over the same rock twice. I was trying to remember that very quote. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. And it really kind of underlines what they're saying here is that, yeah, time travel is cool, spacey, spacey, pew, pew, pew. But have you actually looked at your relationships, uh, uh, Matthew? <laughs> basically is what this book said to me. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I haven't. Leave me alone. La, 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 la. So I'm curious. There were a couple of things, you know, I, I went to double check and make sure that, yes, they are actually using the George Orwell's 1984 correctly in this book. They are actually using the, the mm-hmm. Nazi coding correctly in this book. Um, they mentioned Stonewall a lot. You mentioned Malcolm X, uh, Harvey Milk uh, gets a yeah. big, long paragraph of uh, text in this. Um, but there's two that I did not maybe get all the way and maybe somebody can help me out. She constantly meets Anno in 1970 and I couldn't find anything because the Stonewall riots were in 69. Yeah. Seventies is like a big year for women's lib as well. Uh, like okay. um, Miss magazine comes out in 72. So like, that's a big period for like feminism. Okay. Okay. 1970 was the year of the Augusta riot. Um, in the, well, I don't want to say something silly like the civil rights era. Yeah, the Augusta riot was in 1970 in Georgia. Okay, because uh, I was just trying to, I couldn't, I really couldn't, anything in my mind would trigger exactly why she kept coming back to that better date. Better than, than any yeah, of yeah, us, yeah. so we might get a really great comment this week and learn something. Yeah, and then there was also... The, the sequence of, the, of the, the burning and the lynchings, I thought that that was the 1970 Augusta riots, so... Mm, okay. I don't know. And so, yes, there is a lot of, um, you know killing of black people and, you know, uh, race relations going on in this book as well. And then, so it was very surprising then to see that the head of the time travel organization was a black woman. Mm-hmm. Did any, did it, what, what takeaways did you guys get from that? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm curious, sure I'm curious to as to, that. yeah, I was very curious by that. That was very surprising. I really expected to see a well, red skull or a hate monger or a Adolf Hitler in charge of the organization. That's, I wonder if it was like an Amanda Waller type. (laughs) I can see that, but I I was, I was expecting like a red foreman or a a dick from RoboCop. Yeah. (laughs) You know, somebody that you can definitely see sending agent Himmler and agent Stifler out into the field. But I, I wasn't sure what to make of that. I felt like that, that didn't necessarily compute with me, especially with the sequence where Teddy actually physically tortures her and beats the snot out of her for information. Yeah. I'm I mean, like, maybe it's sure that we're all, everyone is capable of badness. Maybe. We're Rodrigo, also, what was your, you were going to say something. So that's, that's the, that's the issue with having things be metaphorical, right? Mm-hmm. If, 
they'd shown us a little bit of more of this world and they're like, yeah, so right now we're, you know, time police exists in a world that is, you know, very fascist or that has other stuff going on. And we'd spend more time with that culture and being like, yeah, they just don't like gay people. And this is a problem for that reason. But the fact that, you know, they're like, oh, let me take you into my uh, side dimension. is like, oh, you mean your closet where you hide from your problems? Like the problem with having this secondary sort of um, metaphorical line is that you're always asking, okay, comic book, what are you saying? There's 88 of them. That's something. This is happening in 1969. That's something. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden you encounter the only black person who is a character in the book that's not a real uh, mm-hmm. personage. And they are the head of this organization or the highest up of this organization that we see, like mm-hmm. an organization that is bad. So it prompts you to ask this question. What are you saying? Our main character, a white lady, has mm-hmm. a not like has a an Asian girlfriend who appears out of nowhere and doesn't know things, and then she mm-hmm. turns around and in order to defend her, beats the crap out of a out of a black lady, and it's like, what are you saying, comic? And mm-hmm. you know, I I'm not gonna tell you what the comic is saying. That's something that you have to read and you have to ask yourself, what are you saying, comic? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the thing that I'm scratching my head on because maybe sometimes you know a cigar is just a cigar in this case. Where just so happens yeah. that this is this is who we wanted to put in here uh, for this uh, character, somebody that's a kind of Amanda Waller type. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you when you've got so many levels of metaphor and analogies and and whatnot going on in this book. That that's when why I had invoke, to ask the question. That's why I had yeah, to ask the question. When you invoke that, you you speak it into the world of your comic, right? And mm-hmm. then you can't take it back whenever you want. So it's out there. It's there. Yeah. And it's. You know, it's it's something to think about. Yeah. So what's the bottom line for you, uh, Rodrigo, on this book? Um, I liked it well enough. I think it's definitely a, a borrow from me. Um, it's, you know, it's nice. It's a nice sex positive. It's a nice sort of queer positive uh, read. It's got time travel and it's and the art is really good. Um, so, you know, I don't have much, much to say about it. That's bad. But, you know, it's I, I also it was also kind of not my thing. Yeah, no, so I can understand. I, I'd that. say definitely, you know, definitely pick it up and leave through it. Yeah, I, I definitely think that this is going to be a lot of uh, not a thing for a lot of people. Um, sure. But I really, really dug Predestination. And if you guys haven't seen the movie Predestination, you really ought to, <laughs> you really ought to go check that movie out. Um, I think it has a lot of the same themes and elements and ideas as this book. And I, I like this book. Um, I think that it was, I think it's very well done. I think the messaging may be a little bit too heavy uh, for the most part. Um, but I think also that's kind of the point is it's no longer time to be subtle. We have to hit you over the head with this. Um, I am also going to say this should be a borrow, but if you're going to borrow it, borrow it and read it multiple times, just so you can, you, so you can dive in and figure out, you know, what is the meaning to you in each of these different things? Matthew, your thoughts, final thoughts. Um, I love this book. I would say rush right out into buying frenzy because for there are a couple of things that I talk about a lot, but what it really comes down to is when you are reading a sequential comic. 
it doesn't necessarily matter what the story, what the characters are, if it's really well done. And even with the missteps and, you know, some of the issues that you can have with this book, it's really, really fun. It's really bold. It's really straightforward in what it's trying to do, even when it's trying to do things that aren't straightforward. And I kind of love the parts of it that do work. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good manic pixie dream girl romance. And this has that and weird sci-fi stuff and time travel and crazy stuff. And then just overt progressiveness and going to slap you in the face with a ham and say, this is what you need to be thinking about. You big stupid. I really kind of enjoy that. And I love the fact that the art is just flat gorgeous. And I agree with both Rodrigo and Ashley when they say it should have had more time. And in, a, in an ideal world, it would have had more space to play, more space to work, more time to do this. But give me more comics with wholesome, awesome sex scenes, and I'm a happy camper. Ashley, you get the final say this week. Ooh, uh, I think I've made it clear that I'm definitely a buy on this, not least of all because it is independent comics and your dollar goes a lot further with independent comics. Uh, in terms of supporting creators and ideas than it does with Big Two. Not that we don't all love Big Two. And I I always admire when things take big swings, but they don't get all the way there. I would rather see more comics like this um, than like a lot of other things that are being offered right now, uh, naming nothing in particular. But I think this book is cool. I think it's really special. And I think if there is somebody in your life that you think would be touched by this or interested by this, I really think that uh, I think it. I think this is a great gift. Like I, I, I said that earlier as well. I'm like I know like six people I could give this to, and this might be a great book that you could give to someone who doesn't think they like comics because mm. it does have something to say, and because it is so beautiful. Yeah. There is, uh, according to Amazon, a second volume called The Infinite Loop, Volume Two: Nothing But the Truth. Uh, for those of you that want to go and check that out and see, uh, it, it portrays yeah. an even darker version of the future. Now, this one came out in 2018. Uh, I'm not saying that the first one came out in the first volume came out in 2015, leading us up to uh, a mm -hmm. lot of issues of same sex marriage and things that were going on in our current political climate. But uh, something that takes you into an even darker future that comes out in 2018, not saying oh, that boy. also is not playing upon current political issues of the time. Uh, but we will let you, dear reader, uh, pick those up, read them, and and give us some feedback. Uh, in the meantime, that is going to wrap it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Je suis your feedback. Use the comment section <laughs> at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Okay, so if those of you who follow me on Twitter knew that I know that I had a lot to say about Batman Soul of the Dragon, I'll be reviewing that next week on the Major Spoilers podcast, but also next week on the Major Spoilers podcast, we will be reviewing Wonder Woman 1984, the movie. You've had a month now to watch it. If you're going to watch it on HBO Max, uh, we are going to spoiler the heck out of the next uh, episode. <laughs> but... That's what we do, because Hold we know that you love butt. comics, and we do too, and we'll see you soon.
Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine bee In the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.